WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Taylor Burnett. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. But this week, we're bringing you something a little extra. WOUB's summer intern class brought some of their greatest stories from this summer to The Outlet. From tense entrances... I'm sitting in the ER and her mother-in-law come running inside and she said, my daughter's in the car, she's three centimeters dilated in labor, I need help. To revitalization after the pandemic. This is really our once-in-a-generation opportunity to revitalize these places that have intense, incredible histories um, and bring them back to where they were. And helping hands during the war in Ukraine. It's really nice that you are not alone in this situation and we have help and that we stand, stand strong together. These stories and more, right here, on The Outlet. Many Christian churches welcome the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, but others are organizing to keep abortion accessible. The spiritual community in Athens is unpacking the decision from the pulpits. Silver Barker went across the Athens community to hear from spiritual leaders. Unitarian churches across the United States are advocating for abortion rights. At the Unitarian Universalist Church in Athens, the congregation welcomed lawyers and guest speakers Sunday to discuss the six-week abortion ban in Ohio. A letter from Unitarian President Susan Frederick Gray, read by Ohio Attorney Wenda Sheard, reiterates the church's dedication to reproductive rights. Our Unitarian Universalist faith calls us to advocate on behalf of all those who need ready access to safe, legal abortion care whenever and wherever they need it. We will not rest until that reality is true across the country. Sheard says the church's position is not new. She remembers her mother in the 60s working to get free access to abortion. I knew it was some things done in secret about the work that they did in secret to help with reproductive justice. I'm feeling as though it's all happening again. The former president at the church in Marietta, Michelle Wilson, says she has faith in their plans. Which I'm kind of excited about seeing what they do. She says those plans could involve transporting women over state lines and helping pay for things. Elsewhere, there are churches who celebrate the ban on abortions. Pregnancy Resource Center in Athens that we've um, done a couple things with over the past few years. Um, but I think even more now, you know, it's, it's time to start looking into that. Pastor Phil Westenbarger says his Baptist church views the Supreme Court decision as right and just. Pastor Philip Foster at the New Life Assembly of God says the Assemblies of God churches in Ohio are pro-life and highly involved in foster care. Gotta take care of these kids that might show up that otherwise wouldn't have been given a chance. Foster says he is going to be in contact with his church's headquarters in Columbus as things develop. Eating healthy isn't always easy in Southeast Ohio, with rising costs and food deserts. But a nutrition class in Perry County teaches senior citizens how to eat better in a fun way. Reporter Jake Amato went to see what's cooking. Chopping vegetables, mixing dressing, and tossing it all together. For Sean Walker from Ohio State University Extension Services, sharing the simplicity of summer salads is a recipe for healthier eating. Try new foods whole foods. The whole thing is people say, I can't afford to eat healthy. Anyone can afford to eat healthy. It's really easy to do. Joanne Thomas is a regular in Sean's classes, among with others from the Senior Center in New Lexington. Thomas says she enjoys learning new things. There's a group of us down there that 
seem to take each course that she comes in and offers, and she's just kind of used to us. And uh, we're kind of used to her, and we miss her when she's not there. Walker has also started a community garden in New Lexington to give more people access to healthy whole foods. It's an income eligible um, apartment complex. So most of the people are SNAP participants, which SNAP is um, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Most people know it as Food Stamps Program. Volunteers from the apartment complex take care of the garden who Walker calls garden champions. One of those champions, Patsy Taylor, who's been asking for a garden for a couple of years, and this spring she finally got her wish. I got a phone call from Jen and Sean and they said okay let's get this going so we did. The garden is now full of all kinds of fruit and vegetables for the people to harvest. We've got watermelons growing there. We've got squash, zucchini, tomatoes. I think someone maybe even had some lettuce in there. Sean wants the garden to be a source of healthy food, especially with the rising cost of food. The community garden is located behind Kroger in New Lexington. Townships in Ohio's Appalachian counties are deciding how to spend their portion of the $500 million in federal pandemic funding provided through the state. Claire Shiopita looks into how some counties plan to use this money and the obstacles they still face. Transformational, regional change. That's the hope pinned to Ohio's share of the American Rescue Plan Act funding. Development Director at Buckeye Hills Regional Council, Sam Miller, says this is an opportunity for Appalachia to restore communities for the future. This is really our once-in-a-generation opportunity to revitalize these places that have intense, incredible histories um, and bring them back to where they were. The funding falls under three categories, downtown revitalization, workforce, and healthcare. Executive Director of the Southeast Ohio Port Authority, Jesse Rausch, says for Washington County, this funding means focusing on historic preservation. Maintaining historical relevance, being accessible to the general public, keeping it a comfortable climate, those things are all very, very expensive. So any of that funding, I think, is it's incredibly important. Perry County wants a builder's club where they can teach residents skills and develop their workforce, especially with STEM topics. The county also plans to invest in historic buildings, bike paths, and its food bank. Hawking County also plans to invest in bike paths. Joy Davis, executive director at the Hawking County Community Improvement Corporation, says they've talked about everything from internship programs to housing. Giving all of our residents an opportunity that sometimes we've missed out on. President and CEO at Jackson County Economic Development, Sam Brady, says the county's progressed on downtown revitalization on its own, but he thinks this funding can help them continue to build and renovate. But county officials are concerned with project obstacles. Specifics on the timeline for grant applications and guidelines are not clear yet. Ohio's Department of Development and the Appalachian Regional Commission have not responded to WAB's request for clarification. Some communities use the vague guidelines to their advantage by shaping the application to fit their needs. But Maggie Konecki, an intern for Somerset's mayor, sees this as confusing. I think for communities like ours, it's definitely a good thing. Um, for people who don't know where to start, it's, it's probably bad. bad. Finding developers to build projects is also concerning. As Rausch says, developers shy away from working with the government because of the long project times and the amount of paperwork. 
Miller says communities approved for funding will receive it by 2024 and projects completed by 2026. David Hansen, director of the Perry County Community Improvement Corporation, says this conflicts with Intel, a multinational technology company coming to Columbus, leaving Appalachia competing for developers. If they want us to spend, you know, half a billion dollars during the same three to five years that Intel is being developed, at least around here, it's going to be a problem. Communities lean on county collaboration to confront these issues. Davis says this is the first time in her 15 years in Hawking County that Synergy has connected. Everybody was coming up with essentially the same things that need to be addressed. So there's this cohesiveness instead of everybody trying to operate in silos separately from each other. Brady says hopes are high for Jackson County and other Appalachian townships sending in grant applications. This $500 million won't fix Appalachia's problems, but it will be a great drop in the bucket towards that. This wolf has exploded since the pandemic began, but a former OU professor found his passion for the game and built his own course long before. Have you ever heard of Hippo Ridge? Aiden Crowley reports it's gaining popularity in the disc golf world. With the rapid rise of disc golf, you may recognize this sound at your local park. The patented sound of a disc golf player hitting a shot. Kendry Sampson says he decided to make the growing game part of his retirement plan. I was looking for stuff to do and I came up with this idea that we could buy some property in the country and I would put a disc golf course in there. The former Ohio University professor says it took a lot of elbow grease to shape the 88 acres of rolling hills to his vision after he bought it 30 years ago. What we're sitting now was dense underbrush. 30 years, these trees now are 30 years growth from what was just total scrub. The Hippo Ridge course is now one of Ohio's top rated, according to the disc golf app UDisc. And it brings players like Nick Robinson out for multiple tournaments a year to show off Southeast Ohio's natural beauty. Blew me away. Uh, beautiful property. I think it's like 80-some acres out here. Like, felt kind of like a paradise a little bit. Samson says it takes about 10 hours a week on a mower and more hours in logistics to pull off a tournament. But he says the work he started 30 years ago has paid off ever since Hippo Ridge opened to the public in 2008, and both growing the game and making new friends. Oh, Ken, I'm going to be. The interaction with the players that come here uh, are, are some great highlights, um, and lots of ones that are here today. Some of them are people I've known for a long time. Some of them I'm just getting to know. There's a guy on the course I just met two days ago. A retirement activity has morphed into a disc golf haven in southeast Ohio. For the outlet, if you've been around OU's campus in the past few years, you've noticed things have been a bit emptier than usual. A closed dining hall, more open rooms, and a less crowded library have been mainstays in many students OU experiences. But this year, an expected record number of first-year students are attending Ohio University. And those students need dorms, and beds, and places to eat. Olivia Roman talked to the university's housing and dining departments to see how they're going to accommodate the class of 2026. The large influx of incoming freshmen this fall means Ohio University's Office, Housing, and Residence Life and the Culinary Services Department are getting creative to house and feed an expected record number of new students. 
Housing and Residence Life Executive Director Janine Hacker says they try to use space as effectively as possible. We went back into our inventory, identified those spaces that by design have been built to be triples over the course of the years. We've been using them as doubles. We've converted them from doubles back into triple spaces. Hacker says they decided to allow some sophomores assigned to live in Reed, Ewing and Dugan to either live in two buildings in the River Park apartment complex or find other housing off campus. of those facilities are right adjacent to South Green. It truly serves as an extension of South Green, still provides students access to all those direct resources that students need. Students choosing to live at River Park are provided furnishings and pay the same price as if they were living in OU housing. Over at Culinary Services, the department is reopening dining spaces and cafes. I think the most significant is that in Nelson Court and the district over on West Green, when we open for lunch at 11 or 1030, depending on the hall, uh, we will remain open through the dinner hour. The university is bringing back its food truck, the Hungry Cat. Culinary Services says it needs more workers to staff these reopened locations. The university says it hopes the record number of new students translates to workers. Life is getting back to normal in many ways for some in Ukraine. But the nation is still in need of supplies as Russia's invasion continues. Jada Rest Press reports a local group is gathering medical supplies, food, animal support, and personal hygiene products, as well as military gear. All of this stuff is headed to help the people of Ukraine thanks to Little Wing Relief. Volunteer Tom Medley says the name accurately sums up the group's mission. The name to signify that we're just a little group that uh, tries to do some good here and there. Little Wing Relief got its start back in 1998 when Hurricane Mitch struck Honduras. Medley says they are doing what they can. It's not as good as being rich, <laughs> but it's better in many ways because we're just doing a lot of good for people that need it that are far away and have no other way of getting it. The Hiroskovich Charity Foundation in Ukraine receives all the supplies Little Wing Relief sends out. Vladisave Hiroskovich says he is grateful for what they can get. It's really nice that we are not alone uh, in this situation and uh, we have help and that we stand, stand strong together. Hiroskovich says Ukraine needs military clothes and medicine of any kind. Little Wing founder Holly Dahlman says their goal is to collect donations for a $15,000 tent used as a field hospital. It has electricity, it has lighting, and it has uh, insulation so that it's good during the winter, it's good during the summer, and that will be a frontline field hospital. Dahlman and Medley's friends have been a part of the success of Little Wing by volunteering and donations. Sharae is one of those friends. They say Dalman and Medley's dedication is inspiring. It's been an amazing process to observe because they've accomplished so much in just such a very short time. Medley says the 20-foot container is shipping out next month, and Dalman says people can still help out. I would encourage people to, when you go to the store, just buy something extra, buy an extra can of aspirin, buy an extra um, box of spaghetti, buy a pack of underwear. A vendor market in Lancaster drew thousands of people, giving vendors and shoppers alike a chance to meet people from around the country. Peyton Simchak reports how two women packed a round barn at the county's fairgrounds. 
A round barn in the middle of a residential area in Lancaster becomes a trading hub for thousands of people. It's been like a pilgrimage for vendors all over the country over the past six years. It's taken the sights, sounds, and smells of summer at the round barn. The event highlighting small businesses started with just one. The benefit for us was that we were a small business first, so we got to travel and meet everybody. And then we realized, like, you kind of build a community. Caitlin and business partner, who is also her mother, Denise Griffith, say they started small for their market in Lancaster, but spots for vendors are competitive now. We get like five or 600 vendors apply for each market. Vendors are handpicked with a designated number set aside for new sellers. We're trying to like encourage those businesses to come in and then maybe get their name out. Vendors travel around the country to sell their wares, but they say summer at the Round Barn is unique. It's different. It's not a craft fair and it's not an antique fair. It's both and it's a mix. The event had a successful turnout this summer and is in preparation for fall at the Round Barn this September. An unexpected delivery and the bond forged between two women brought together in the right place. At the right time, Jensen Neck has their story. Three-week-old Carson Sharp is napping peacefully. His entrance into this world was anything but. Everything went so quickly I didn't really have time to be scared. That's his mother, Rachel. Delivering Carson was the last thing on her mind when she went to work the morning of June 21st. I go on into work and I start switching out laundry and everything. But things escalated quickly. I'm having contractions, like they're starting to be pretty painful. She called her mother-in-law so she and her two kids could make the 30-minute drive to Athens. And I was just going to go in to my doctor and see if they thought it was real labor. Well, as closer we got, I knew it was real. And so they decided to head to Oblenis Hospital. Finally, they let us through, and we pull up in front of the ER, and she runs in to get help, and... Yeah, they come out, they start to open the door, and they're like, we got you a wheelchair, and I was like, no time, I'm like, he's coming out. Enter Beeps Pariso. I'm sitting in the ER, and her mother-in-law come running inside, and she said, my daughter's in the car, she's three centimeters dilated in labor, I need help. And the nurse at the desk was trying to reach people on her pager, but the pager wasn't working. It just kept asking who she was trying to reach. So um, me and her ran outside. Beebs and a nurse helped little Carson make his entrance into the world. The kids were in the back, so she still was able to like hold her composure. It was just a mind-blowing thing to see. Says it was a life-changing experience. Being in the position where I couldn't, like I could barely help myself. So having that opportunity to not just help somebody, but like truly save a life. Like I brought a baby into the world and took care of his mom. It's just like a blessing on another level. A blessing that couldn't have come at a better time for Beeps, who as a former firefighter on medical leave says she was looking for a way to help others like she used to. I helped her just as much as she helped me. Beebs wanted to try and find Rachel to let her know what the experience meant to her. So she turned to Facebook. When I posted that post, it became something people got invested in. Like, everyone wanted to find Rachel. <laughs> and um, everyone's like, oh my god, I love this. I can't wait to hear the story. Let us know if you find her. And Facebook delivered as Beebs and Rachel were able to meet. You know, everything happens for a reason. So, and the way it all played out, it's just... Way more than coincidental, you know, like that happened to be the day my finger hurt that bad and that happened to be the time I went to the ER, which 
happened to be when she arrived at the ER and it just all just kind of fell into place so perfectly and then the fact that like I was actually able to find her. Yeah, definitely like God's perfect plan. Yeah, exactly. Two strangers, one baby, in a connection to last a lifetime. Rachel and Beeb stay in contact and plan to get together when things slow down. That's all we have for you now. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced by me, Taylor Burnett. We're edited by Tish Badia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. You can find us online at wub.org. We'll be back this fall with more stories from Southeast Ohio. And stay tuned to WUB underscore Newswatch on Twitter to keep up with our adventures.